Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Buery, and as always, I'm with disaster modeler, Dr. Lucy Jones. In each episode of this podcast, we thank our supporters for helping to underwrite the work of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Please consider sponsoring this podcast for as little as $5 a month. Simply go to patreon.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Now let's get to it. Just last week, a new study was released in the journal Science that said younger people will be facing more disasters than the generations preceding them. The Washington Post gave a headline that today's kids will live through three times as many disasters as their grandparents. That's fairly disconcerting. How should we think about this new study, Lucy? Well, first, let's remember that, as always, a newspaper headline is a pretty gross simplification, often of a study with many more complexities. And this one looked at many different age cohorts, looking at how the risk was increasing, looked at many different types of disasters, which are increasing because of climate change, but they're increasing at different rates. And of course, then there's the big unknown, how successful are we going to be in reducing the carbon output and therefore keeping the climate from getting really awful. Second, this is a model. And remember what we said about models. Yes, we said in episode 68, all models are wrong. And the full quote from rather famous statistician is, all models are wrong, but some are useful. So knowing that predicting the future requires so many assumptions that some of them will be wrong, let's look for what is useful in this study. To dig into this study, we've got to look at risk, the concept of risk. So Lucy, how do we talk about what disasters might be in our future? What is at risk here? Well, notice what you said. What is at risk? The earthquake is an earthquake. What's at risk are things that are damaged by the earthquake. When we model disasters, we talk about a couple of concepts. We use hazard to mean what the earth does to us, the rate at which earthquakes are happening, the volcanoes that are erupting. Risk is the consequence of that hazard to human beings and our constructs. And in fact, we ended up using a risk equation that we could define risk as being the hazard times exposure times fragility. So our risk from natural disasters is a combination of hazard, what the earth does to us, times exposure, how many people are exposed to that hazard, times fragility. And that's how well have we built our cities, infrastructure, our society to accommodate that hazard and be able to keep on functioning. So how would we talk about this changing? Hazard, exposure, and fragility. One big issue is actually how many people are exposed to the hazard. Earthquakes are not get becoming more common because of climate change. They're in the earth, not in the atmosphere. But the risk from earthquakes is increasing because the exposure is going up. You know, one example of this, and it's a sobering thing to think about. The city of Tehran in Iran is built on an active thrust fault. And we look back in the historic record, and there have been a couple of big earthquakes on that fault since Tehran was founded. Both of them killed about 60% of the population of Tehran when they happened. The population of Tehran is now 12 million people. 
Now, we don't think we're going to kill 60% of those because many of the buildings are new and it's those older buildings that are really at risk. In this and many other similar cities, seismologists now think that the earthquake that kills a million people is sometime in our pretty near future. We've never seen it before, but we've put so many more people on top of faults that we will. And that's a great example of understanding this risk equation you described. This study focused on the extreme weather events that climate change is making much worse. So this seems to be a real choice, whereas the earthquake risk is one that is less obvious as a choice and just more of a natural evolution of maybe ignoring the risk. For earthquakes, it's merely where we put people with respect to the faults and how we build our buildings. But for climate change, climate change really is increasing the number of what we call atmospheric hazards or meteorologic hazards. This study looked at six extreme events that are becoming more common because of climate change. And those are wildfires, crop failures, droughts, river floods, heat waves, and tropical cyclones. So all of these types of events are becoming more frequent and more intense because of climate change. So this study is really looking not at exposure, but at the change in the hazard, because it's talking about the risk that one individual faces. The fact there's more people around you also receiving that risk doesn't affect this number. There's be a little bit of change in the distribution of where populations are growing or whatever. But the really big issue is the fact that all of these atmospheric hazards are getting worse with time because of climate change. And the biggest factor in determining how large that number was, about how much more will a child see than, than what its grandparents went through, is really how much we reduce our carbon output because that's gonna determine a lot about what happens with natural disasters over the next few decades. So there's a really interesting component of control that we have in this risk equation, but what can we do about it if the hazard appears to be increasing? Okay, so the hazard is increasing. The exposure is at least as high, if not getting larger. The only thing we can really control is fragility. If we made sure everybody had air conditioning with carbon neutral electricity, that would be a way of reducing the impact of the heat waves. If we could be making sure we build our buildings in hurricane prone areas so that their roofs don't get ripped off, that's another big way that we can reduce our losses. So fragility is how we build our society to handle these things that are coming. You might think that we've already done this, right? We know how to build buildings to not come down in hurricanes. But our current building code in America, as we have talked a couple of times in the past on this podcast, is for a life safety standard, that the only role of government is to make sure that the building doesn't kill you. There is a move now to move towards functional recovery. It's something that's being talked about at the national level. We tried to get it through here in California unsuccessfully, at least most recently. And that says, let's invest a little bit more upfront and make sure the building's usable afterwards. And that would greatly reduce the disruption we're seeing from natural disasters, not just earthquakes, but especially hurricanes as well. What you're talking about seems to be a very long-term investment that we've got to really look at planning things out. Buildings that were built 50 or even 100 years ago are still here in Los Angeles, where we are, ready to fall down in the next earthquake unless they've been somehow modified. Well, we sometimes take this risk equation and make it a resilience equation. So the hazard, the exposure, the fragility are all making things worse. We can make things better through response and recovery. 
first is to be sure we can respond really quickly, you know, because if you can get out there right after the earthquake and stop the fires, you have less damage. If you can make sure that when the heat wave hits, you've brought your vulnerable into places with air conditioning, you have fewer deaths. Response is really important. It's also something that we emotionally see as our response to disasters, and we tend to focus on that. The other part that we've been trying to work on is what I like to call the will to recover. I mean, there's one thing what the disaster does to you. How much is your life disrupted? How are you going to respond to that? Are you going to be willing to stay in your community and rebuild it? That's a way of making the disaster less severe because you're helping each other. And as we've talked in previous podcasts, what you get to is you need a community to work together so that you really do have that will to recover. So the takeaway here is that we've got the ability to actually decrease our risk by really looking at this risk equation with the understanding that each component of that equation, and there's five components, each component of that equation has the ability to be impacted by choices we make, not just as individuals, but as a society. And together we could get through this a whole lot better. Well, let's leave it there for now. Until next time, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a supporter at patreon.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Our music is performed by Josh Lee, and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones. <laughs>